Hello, College Hoops fans. It is week 15 of the college basketball season, and it's another episode of Mad About Hoops. I'm Timmy Hall. That's evil, bald Colin. Colin, how's it going, man? It seems that things might be leveling off at the top of this sport, or is that just a wildly out-of-bounds statement? I would say it's completely (laughs) out-of-bounds. Okay. I, I think actually this past weekend and early into this week even proves to a further point that it's not leveling off at the top. We just had Louisville go down versus Georgia Tech. You have uh, Colorado and Oregon going in a tight battle. Colorado went like a 20 to nothing run and then blew the game and got blown out. I can't tell you week in and week out what the top 25 is going to look like. Those are teams in the teens, though. Those are teams in the teens. I keep going back to that thing that you said about how Dayton's not going to have a place as a one seed and how Baylor, Gonzaga, Kansas, and San Diego State now – seem to be holding on to those spots. But it's like you said, as chaotic as this season has been, there's still a whole lot of time left. Well, I mean, we can get into that deeper later, but Dayton metrically is a three seed by all the metrics reasons. They are actually by, you know, just talent-wise, I believe there are two. But yeah, I still think as of this point, the top four is what we have is what I think we're going to see at the end. No way is Dayton going to be a three seed. No way is Dayton going to wind well, up a three seed. If they lose another game, there's a good chance they fall down. But. No, not going to happen. Not going to happen. We break it all down. It's Mad About Hoops. Five to go. Lewis has been awesome. Let's it go. Inbounds Turner, left side of the backcourt. Turner crossed the timeline, throws it from high on the right. He hit it just inside of half court. Lane's on the other wing. Oh! 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 Send it in, Jerome! Oh! <laughs> College basketball! This is March Madness! Yes, and here we go on another episode of Mad About Hoops. It's so good to have all of our college basketball-loving fans here with us. Colin, don't start setting fires about the Dayton Flyers. Don't do that to all the Dayton fans that have been enjoying this podcast ever since we had good old Trey Landers (laughs) on the show. No, I love Dayton. I've said that from the beginning. I think they are one of the top five most talented teams in the nation this year. But I think their stock's gotten a little too hot for me to be buying it right now, if that makes sense. If you want to put a little economics words with it. Can I can I complain about something? Go ahead. I mean, why not? That's what we're here to do, right? We're cool. put on this earth to complain. At least that that's how things seem what I've been in told. society lately. It's how it's always been. And we just seem to be getting better at that as we grow. Dayton is number five in the net rankings, okay? This this yes. this complaint though is more on the presentation of the net rankings that I'm actually looking at at NCAA.com, the official place to go, the website to study and look up the net rankings, which as Colin likes to go through the metrics of college basketball, sort of uh, he'll look at Ken Palm and some of those deep diving analytics, but the net rankings, as we've been told as fans has replaced the RPI and will be the main system that the selection committee uses to seed the big dance. So kind of important. I would appreciate, because we have the quadrants now, and it's nice to see that all in one place and what that all means. Do you have that in the top of your head? Yeah, it's called like quadrant quadrant wins database or something it's like a very advanced mathematic website online that actually breaks it down for each team in the country 
on what their quad one, two, three, and four records are. So it's a different website altogether. I yeah, think that's a, that's a third party it's site. It's very third party. That's my complaint. This is so easy to do, right? It's your rankings. If I'm going to look up the net rankings at NCAA.com, don't just give me the record, the road, the neutral, and the home. Those are all in non-Division One. Like, who cares about non-Division One? All I simply want to know is what is your record in Quadrant One games? What is your record in Quadrant Two games, three and four? Just give me the four columns, and then you can have the key that actually tells you what a Quadrant One game is, what a Quadrant Two games. I was mainly asking you, does that live in your brain? Because you're good at that stuff. Quadrant One would be home so game it's, it's home, one through home top 25 neutral mm-hmm. site top 50 road top 75 there you go so it's sort of and i like that don't you how they made that sliding scale to give i do a like true it. road game more you have you know 50 ranking spots of wiggle room there if it's a true road game but i think it more reflects honestly in this year where there's so much parody how much widespread talent there is in the sport this year so the top 75 is collectively as even as I think it's ever been. So I, I think this is probably the best scenario, the best point for a season. You can go back and say, hey, the 2019-2020 season was really the defining moment of what net really meant and how defining it really was to the sport and determining which were the best teams. So a couple of episodes we had our buddy Brian Roth on, who is based out of Raleigh, North Carolina, Tobacco Road, and he covers things on a national landscape, but you would probably – you would probably uh, find it normal that he would pay more attention to the ACC and the SEC. He was a South Carolina grad, but he he pays attention to all of it. And when we had him on, I sort of joked. I'm not saying I necessarily believe this. By the way, poor South Carolina, they just got their notice of allegations for the P.J. Dozer stuff. I did see that. As the scandal keeps going on, there was also some happenings in the – there was also some happenings with uh, Nike as well. Oh, that uh, just came down, which we can which we can hit on a little bit later on. But my my sort of joke and quick observation was, as chaotic as this season has been, you watch one of the top four teams right now, even back then. Which again, I don't think it's changed since we had Brian on on the podcast with the rankings with Baylor, Gonzaga, Kansas, and San Diego State. Maybe the order of them has shuffled by just a one or two, but it's been those teams. You watch. One of those four teams will win the national championship. I, hey, I certainly could see that happening. Kansas, to me, feels like even though they are known choke artists when it gets into March, if you want to think of something that's more ridiculous than anything in all of college basketball, it's how the story, and I went to Kansas, so I speak with love, the fact that Kansas has three tournament championships in their storied history is just simply... Not enough. Not good enough. So they no, need to I, start stacking tournament wins. I, I mean, tournament championships. Sure. This would be a great year for them to do it while they are ranked number three and seemingly have a very complete team. Yeah, no, I've, I told you a couple weeks ago, I think Kansas is my front runner, which is, I mean, when you're picking any of those top four, I don't think you can really go wrong with it. Although I do question how confident you are in a San Diego State in that, that sense. Oh, Especially sure. If they go yeah. east, I don't feel good about that at all. But um no, there's just even the top four. It just feels weird. Like there was a point this year where Baylor had a tough game versus Butler, one night by one at home, and then they went up to Alaska and played, who's currently the last place team in the Pac-12, Washington, dominated them for 
38 minutes of that game and Washington pulls it out, out up in Alaska. And that, that team's lost, I think, 9 of 11 and are dead last in the Pac-12. Also the second game of the basketball season. Well, yeah, but it just so tells, it Baylor just tells has you not lost in a long, long time. Well, it just almost spe- feels like yeah, they're undefeated. It, it just speaks to what Scott Drew's been doing there. And I think a lot of it's based off of a very tough defensive-minded team. I don't know. They've had some good shot blockers in the past, but I don't think this has been a program where they've really just had an identity for being one of the lockdown teams in the nation. And I Freddie think Gillespie. That can carry yeah. them through this tournament. I I would have to give and Baylor only has two double digit scores. That's the thing. They score seventy one point six points per game. So it's a it's a good offense, not great. That certainly that certainly gets the job done. We can't all be like Gonzaga and average 90 points per game living in the conference that they live in. It doesn't go that way for Gonzaga when they play larger competition. So for a Power 5 team, someone in the Big 12 like that, it's it's pretty good numbers. And then when you throw in their shot blocking and their defense and how they can hit the threes, 35% for a team at three, pretty high clip. Sure. But, you know, Jared Butler, uh, Teague, these were guys that I just – I wasn't giving enough credit to in the preseason. wasn't paying enough attention to, to Baylor. I've always liked them. They certainly have uh, have built themselves into a perennial top twenty five. But then to go from that to being a national title contender is a different ball game. And Baylor clearly is that right now. And as you mentioned, Scott Drew, their coach there, it's it's really been built on him. And there was. There were some hiccups along the way to get to this point, but here they are. Here Baylor is, a major player. Yeah, I, I want to say their greatest comp is probably Mark Turgeon's Maryland program. I think they've always had that ability to be an elite program. They just haven't gotten over to the hump. But actually, going back yeah. to the the Big 12 teams, if I told you right now that Kansas is the number one team in defensive efficiency in terms of points per 100 possessions, would you believe me? Because they actually are. They're averaging only I would. 83 I would. points They're per tough 100 to possessions. On. They only gave up 49 to West Virginia this past week on ESPN+. And look, if there's ever a team that you could shut down offensively, West Virginia, you know, if you could get a team out of their offensive rhythm, West Virginia would be one of those teams. But that was was a big win on a lot of levels for Kansas because they just, they do not win. They do not win in Morgantown. Ever, I think that's only the second time Kansas has beaten West Virginia since the Mountaineers joined the Big 12. Well, they struggled early. They weren't scoring very well, and I think they were down by they were 11 down or double 12. digits. Yeah, yeah when the, we were doing the show, and that the score of that one popped up on the screen. I swear Kansas was down by double fi- double digits in the second half. It was 30-24 at halftime. I mean, it was yeah. pretty much what you expect between those two teams playing. And then you're going to have the Kansas-Baylor game coming up pretty soon. I believe that one's going to be... Back at the field house, Colin. No, 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 no. No, First one is at field house. It's at Waco. Yes. It's at Waco, February 22nd. I just want to see a healthy Dotson playing that entire game because if you remember, he left about a halfway through the first half of that game and never came back. And then it really, Kansas suffered because of that. I think they only scored 49 points or so because of that. Kind of an important guy. Kind of an important guy when oh, that's <laughs> when you look, you that's look an at Kansas, point score. a wooden award type of player. So, yeah, that's it's one of the best players in the country. It matters. We are recording here on a Friday night. We always point out sort of like a Ivy League Friday night when you look at the scoreboard. You got Brown and Penn, Columbia and Dartmouth, Cornell and Harvard, and a little Yale at Princeton coming up tonight. So just Ivy League action everywhere to salivate over I, CB. I, 
Ivy League Friday's got the feel of like a Maxion Tuesday feel it to it. It really does. It really does. It should and be I, their thing. I, I kind of applaud them for it because they're making a mark on how they want to market themselves as a league. And, you know, a league that's been pretty balanced this year, it, outside of the casual fan, it gets a lot of people interested. And I'm really interested to see, you know, Yale's a team, if they don't win the Ivy as long as they don't suffer multiple losses in a lo- row— could be in the conversation for one of those last spots in the tournament as an at-large. Give me some more of these games on national TV. I look and I see the Penn game, the Dartmouth game, and the Harvard game all on ESPN Plus only. Yale-Princeton on ESPN News at 7, so there is that. But give me give me one of those on ESPN regular, one time on a Friday night. What else, programming-wise, are you going to show us this time of year on a Friday night. Just do it for us. Well, I, I mean, I am going to play devil's advocate because I do agree with you. I think I would rather watch that, but I do know they're big on their NBA coverage on Friday night. So they'll pro- I think they have an NBA game I'm on I'm sure you're right. But this being a college basketball podcast, I completely agree I with couldn't you. even tell you what NBA game that is. If Actually, it's something like it's Lakers Rockets, so I playing. get it. Uh, it might be like the skills competition or something. Yeah, you're right. It's it's the All Star Weekend. Yeah. So it will be that it, it'll be the celebrity game. That's which is. is one of the saddest things <laughs> you will ever watch in sports programming. For I six agree. straight years, they try to boast, and, Ke- and Kevin Hart is a pretty big time celebrity. But it would be Kevin Hart, and then it would be an ocean, and then it would be the third brother from Hanson. That that would be the next biggest celebrity. And then Arnie Duncan, who is in the cabinet for such a long time in the country, and he'd be like 57 years old and just shooting jump shots. It would be the saddest thing. Jason Sudeikis one time in his life played in that, (laughs) but it is, you get one B celebrity and then nothing but Fs the rest of the way. So I would certainly take Ivy League ball. Look, I get it. All I could say, though, is when I look at the ticket prices for those games, if I lived up in the Northeast and I lived in one of those communities, I would be... I would be the dude who doesn't have a kid playing on either of those teams, but just goes and buys basically season tickets. I don't even think I'd buy season tickets because I look at what the ticket prices are Probably on just an individual individuals. game, yeah. and I could get to the Palestra tonight for as little as $5. That's incredible. I could get to the Dartmouth game for as little as 13 bucks, 22 bucks for this, the Harvard-Cornell game, 5 bucks for Princeton-Yale. I'd be at every single one of those basketball games if I lived in one of those towns. Not the best matchups for the Ivy League, per, t- per se. Not the best teams facing each other this weekend. But, yeah, no, I definitely agree. I mean, during this time of year, what else are you going to do on a Friday? All right, coming up after a, a very quick breather, one of the biggest rivalries in all of sports is in our sport, with, with that, of course, being Duke and UNC. And, oh, my God, I've seen a lot of those games before. And that might have been the most epic one that has ever been played. We'll touch on that. It's Mad About Hoops. Back in a second. Quick breather. All right. So if things couldn't get worse for old Roy Williams. I'm okay with it. (laughs) It happened last weekend with... Just an absolutely brutal way to lose a game. Not only just any game, but a game to your most hated rival in a sport. It's the Duke-UNC game. And just the most ugly pair of uniforms I've ever seen. What was that? Yeah, it was. Quick pause on that. Why are we trying to make Duke-UNC 
into Thursday night football with the color rush unis. We try to bring out those, you know, disastrous Seattle Seahawks, neon greens. I mean, sure. I mean, you, you're both wearing the blues. Someone's got to wear white. Yeah. I, as an Ohio state fan, we've seen it before. I believe it was crash senior year. We saw that with the Michigan game. They gave the Ohio state, the bright red solo logo Jersey in Michigan at the block M Gold jersey. It, I, we've seen this before, and it was ugly then, and it's ugly now. Bad. It's just, it's like when Ohio State Ohio State fans complain whenever Ohio State wears different jerseys during the game in football. I feel like it kind of translates a little bit sure. for those yeah. people down there. No, I I agree. It, and I think this is sort of universal to whatever rivalry, whatever the sport, whenever you try to do gimmick type of things for those games. And we do appreciate some kind of change for the better as a society. We like to push the ball forward and move into the modern era and the times. And I I said what I said about the Seahawks jerseys. A lot of people like the Seattle Seahawks jerseys. I mean, when they sort of change their whole logo and overall design, pretty much since Russell Wilson came over and it was, it became a popular thing. Marshawn Lynch might've been there before Russell and, whatever you you know their uni- uniforms you can picture them in your head but why would you go to some strange just block logo thing with no name no lettering no nothing no numbers on the front i mean it was even the names on dumb. the back and numbers were hard you couldn't to see read him. Yeah. yeah you couldn't see him do that any other game and give that a try keep it relatively classical when you are in your classic rivalry so the game was this past weekend and uh, we're we're rolling to you on Valentine's Day, so treat your loved ones well. Whether you think it's just a Hallmark holiday or not, just at least put one foot forward and do something. Don't be the idiot that does nothing. Do one microcosm of a thing at the very least and enjoy your Valentine's Day as much as you enjoy any other day. 98-96, Duke took down UNC this past weekend. And I, I, I just got to say, I'll, I'll defend Roy here as we, we talk about the final play. It was as wacky as anything as I've ever said. It says we were just fighting in the break there. You should have, it should have never gotten to that with the lead that UNC had. But talk about that execution by Trey Jones, who they started now calling Trey Stones after that performance. That was phenomenal. You hear about the mythical bullet shot miss on purpose from the free throw line. But you never really see it. It never really works. It's more so a thought than something that can actually happen in hoops. No, I mean, it's – I don't want to compare it to a Hail Mary, but it's kind of like one of those things is you see it happen all the time or at least attempted when you're put in that situation. You're down three with 10 seconds left. A team purposely fouls to send you to the line, and you try to make the first and then intentionally miss the second to get a rebound. And he talked about how he talked to one of his assistant coaches and he moves two steps to the left and if you throw it, it should come ricochet like that back off. But, I mean, even if you try that ten times, how many times are you going to get to react like how he did? I mean, you have to throw that thing on a line drive. If you miss, think of... So if you didn't see the play, guys, Trey Jones, they're down by three. He's going to the free throw line. It's like Colin said, he's got to make the first... And there's, what, two seconds left, three seconds left? It's it's nothing. There's no time to go and play the foul game the other way and go two for one, that type of thing. No chance. So it's, like you said, make the first, hope to get the rebound and get a tip in to tie the game. Or 
like he does, throws the rocket shot and tries to hit it on the front of the rim and get it to bounce right back to him in a split second for a quick jumper. I mean, what is the margin for error? You have to hit the basketball. You have to get the basketball to hit the rim pretty much on an exact spot, right? An exact round ball and, and an exact like I don't know, like strength to it because it. Speed, right? Yeah, speed and accuracy. If you hit it directly at the, like the middle of the rim, the way it even bounced back, I think you gotta like. It's gotta be almost throw, perfect. You gotta like throw a bullet. It's gotta be almost perfect. Yeah. It's. I don't care how much practice you do on that. It's such a difficult thing to pull off. You could practice. You could do that a thousand times, and it would still be tough to do it when the lights are on. That's why I usually see the guy go for the back iron. Usually see the the attempt there be the back iron, and then you put your two best rebounders on the low block, you put your four best rebounders in the game for that play, and you just crash boards. You just try to beat the block outs and crash boards. If you get called for an over-the-top, then oh well. I mean, you're it's a last-ditch effort at that point anyway. Hope you don't get the call. Hope you do it the right way. But for that to happen, and then for it to sort of go off and to the right, and he chases it down, and it's outside the three-point line, and for him to get the ball back, and for him to make a couple moves off the dribble, and then nail a deep two-pointer, 17-18 footer at the buzzer, barely getting it off. I mean, speechless. Totally speechless. No, yeah, I think that... uh, I give North Carolina credit because it didn't kill their will going into overtime. They should have won in overtime. They should have won in overtime. How did they lose it in overtime is the other thing. Well, because I think it just continues off of what they were doing in the final couple minutes of that game. They were just running really bad offense through Cole Anthony. He wanted to play like he was Marcus Howard. Well, he was hurt a long time, so he Mm. he needed to get some good film out there. (laughs) I don't disagree with you there. But no, he he was very... He was trying to control the game, put the game, the ball in his hands, and they were weren't really getting effective offense at the end of the game. They didn't play defense either. No, uh, they didn't play any defense. Any. I mean, you always say, "Let's go and let's get a quick two and then foul." Well, it shouldn't be like a layup drill when they're trying to score a quick two. You still have to actually play defense. I know you're you're trying not to foul that team and put them on the line so they can catch up while the the clock is stopped, but. You, there has to be some resistance. It was just an ole straight to the basket. Here, here's your free layup so you can stay in this game and keep trying and then foul us and keep extending the game. 96-91 with 21 seconds left, and you're coming off of two made free throws when you're UNC. How do you, And this is the overtime after they survived Trey Jones' first ridiculous play at the end of regulation. How could you ever give that up? And Trey Jones goes in, gets another free layup. They get the foul. They uh they they start turn that well then they start turning the ball over yep. and then that happens the slop comes into play so it was just a total disaster and the fact that, <laughs> the fact that uh, the fact that Wendell Moore hits that NC State esque put tip back. in put yeah. back right up at the such it just worked out so perfectly for Duke and then you see their celebration and they win in the Dean Dome and North Carolina is a crappy team it just said everything that. A rivalry has, right? UNC stinks. They're three games below 500. They're not even going to the NIT. There's not no. even a prayer for that. And they almost knock off Duke, who's a you know three-loss team late in the season here. Top five, top seven team. It was incredible. No, yeah, it was a really it was a really grimy game. I mean, there was tons of guys getting fouled out. I think Cassius Stanley for Duke was fouled out. Uh you had Gar- 
Baycott and Brooks were both out at one point. One was injured. One, I believe, picked up a fourth or a fifth foul. They went to like back the bench type of players that shoot important yeah. free throws down the stretch. It was just a completely wacky game in all aspects of the final five minutes and plus overtime. I still, I had to sit there after the game for about five to ten minutes to really digest what happened because, you know, we're going to forget about this once March comes around, but man, I think about it in the way that Duke really showed some vulnerabilities in that game. And when it comes to March time in that tournament, I'm not going to forget that how they really don't have outside. Vernon Carey did really well in the post, and he turned into be the guy that could go to for scoring in that game. But man, there's just too many times where it feels like they don't have a go-to guy when they need a basket the most because Carey can be inconsistent there. Trey Jones, though, he's a stud. And if he can do it, just and if he can stud. keep it up, then they have a chance. That was just... Haven't seen many games just get taken over like that all year. Yeah, I would say so. Outside of the dudes in the Big East that we know, like Marcus Howard and what he can do, how he, how he can go off, and Miles Powell for Seton, how he can just flip a switch and, and go off. It was it was that kind of level. It was well, that kind of yeah, level. Yeah, I mean, we just have a, we've had a lot of inconsistent play from a lot of our stars in the game. Like the game against Georgia Tech for Louisville, Jordan Nora had two points and four turnovers. Like, these guys just kind of disappear at times. I think, honestly, the only guy that's not disappearing this season is Obi Toppin in terms of the National Player of the Year conversation. Miles Palace had a few games where he's kind of disappeared. Luca Garza, too. Peyton Pritchard's kind of fallen off since Oregon started having their troubles. It's just a really wacky year, even for the stars. We'll have to look, maybe something for the next podcast, to see what maybe... We'll maybe try to agree on the top 10 players in the country and see how many times they've really gone silent sure. in a game. And you said Obi. I can look that one up in the quick break here and he see what his worst first, game was. He says some yeah. quiet first halves. I know the game at St. Louis, he was kind of quiet. They were physical with him, which is what teams like Florida State or Seton Hall are going to try to do to them in the tournament. But most of the time, he's been pretty consistent. And he was huge in that game where they were just whipping Rhode Island. Just a little mid-February weekend coming up here across college basketball. We will get you ready for it. Another quick breather, and we'll finish up here. It's Mad About Hoops. It's kind of weird, you know. We get all these upsets. We talk about how even the sport is, and yet it seems week in and week out. We have so many or I guess so many few ranked matchups, and especially this weekend. One such matchup. One such matchup this weekend where both teams are ranked, and that's obviously a good one in the Big 12, West Virginia at Baylor, 4 o'clock tomorrow, February 15th. Yeah, I said to you before we got back on, West Virginia's kind of in a tough spot here because they've been in the mix for a two for about the past couple of weeks. I believe they were two in the NCAA committee's releasing of the top 16 seeds last week. But, I mean, they're in a tough stretch here where they had to play Kansas and Baylor back-to-back. You're risking falling to a three, maybe in a, a four in that situation. For a team that we've seen play pretty well all year long, really put a stress on Ohio State's guards, and I think they have, what, 26 sure. tur- turnovers in that game. They have a style of play that can beat anybody, but they're a team that's in trouble right now. Yeah, they've sort of normalized here in the in the Big 12. They're totally safe at getting in, but you're right. Oh, Se- seed line is something that can change drastically. They're, Especially they're this for year. Sure, it's huge. Yeah, they're for sure in, but they could do a lot of damage to their seed line if you don't. I mean, it's 
it's like any given basketball game, the season as a whole, you just extrapolate it out. You have got to play hard all the way to that very last game, that very last game in your conference tournament that you suit up and play. That's going to matter. And that's going to affect things as to what your seed line is. So you got to make sure that you're doing all you can. I think Baylor is going to pound them for the record. I think so too. We'll come back and we'll see that. Just some of the other important games to watch because Kansas is ranked way up there. Home game against Oklahoma. Sooners, decent team, decent squad right there with Lon Kruger. I like what he's done over the years. I also loved this one will be at the field house. Oklahoma has got one of the most, one of the nicest, subtle artwork. What am I trying to say? Subtle artwork on their basketball court. Okay. Grand prize goes to Oklahoma because I don't like getting too outlandish or getting too crazy because we're trying to play a game on this thing and we can't all just be caught by looking at certain things. Oregon's Oregon's court. It would be beautiful to hang on my wall. Like as a poster, as a basketball court, it's a monstrosity. It's a disaster. It's like Boise State's blue turf. You shouldn't even, it shouldn't even be allowed us playing a basketball game on that. But the spoke wheels. Are you watching a lot of Oklahoma basketball to develop this opinion? Yeah, I I caught a couple of games. Really? They were on just the other night this week. And they have, you know, uh, everyone obviously knows the the Sooner Schooner, the it, because it tipped over at a football game this year, it could have been could have been a, a total disaster. But everybody was okay. But that image of the the schooner tipping over with the horse carriage and everything. So the top of the key, in between the paint and the three point line, the key, the half circle, has spoke wheels. It's awesome, spoke wheels, like the wheel of the horse carriage of sure. the schooner. It is subtle but awesome. Uh, the other games, you got Dayton. Anytime they're on the road in the A-10, they should be totally fine because UMass is a really bad team, but they got to take care of business because there's no room the for air. A-10 is just looking worse and worse because the top teams are losing very, very bad games. VCU is in a situation right now where they're on the outside looking in. They just lost a bad game at home to George Mason. George Mason, really? 14-10. and 10. VCU, 17-7 yeah. and 7 right now. Duquesne. Uh, there's still a good league. I think right around St. Louis and going up pretty solid stuff. Yeah. They're, they're, they're not a league though. That's easily getting seven, six to seven teams. And I agree with you there. And it's not going to matter to Dayton really how their strength of record strength of schedule looks. But I mean, I've just kind of been keeping eyes on it just because I think it really indicts what's going on with the a 10. It went from like, Last week from like 90, I think it's all the way down to 108 right now. Like it's just not looking good for them. But St. Bonaventure, third place in the league right now. Look out for the Bonnies. It's kind of quiet. They started off 0 and 2. They lost a game to Vermont, who we were really big on to begin the season. Yes, we were. Um, another one, and this is completely off track. And I know no one cares about the Arizona Stanford game tomorrow or Saturday. But can we finally like come to a discussion here? Because I'm looking at all the bracketology, just how overseeded Arizona is right now. They're getting six spots and a lot of, especially in Lunardi's bracket, and he's got them going against Xavier. If that had, they oh, get, what's their, what's their resume? Get, what's their resume? Real not quick? a real whole lot. They just lost to UCLA. Their best game is a, like a four or five point loss at home to Gonzaga. They haven't really done anything to deserve it. They just kind of win when they need to, but then they'll lose a bad game like that to UCLA. 17 and seven, seven and four in the Pac 12. You're saying they're just getting it off of their reputation it, it, alone? Yeah, I think they are because if lost uh, to Baylor. 
If I'm playing yeah. that game today between them and Xavier in Lunardi's bracket, I'm taking Xavier by a mile right They beat now. Illinois, second game of the season, so you know that's a win that's getting them something, I that think that's getting them there. Illinois wasn't fully what they were at that point. They I beat think Colorado. Colorado. Well, Colorado. I don't that's that's about it. Colorado, yeah. man. I, I don't know what to make of them. They're I look very at Colorado ter- and Illinois, second game of the season, and that's far and away their best couple of wins. You look at Ohio State's best couple of wins. I mean, that kills Arizona. Oh, 100%. Kills Arizona. And they're only one win separated. And the Buckeyes are what? Getting uh, love at the eight or the nine? So I believe Lenardi has them at an eight, but I've been seeing a lot of them. I, I think their metrics between what their net ranking is and what their quadrant wins kind of stack up as is All like right. in between yeah. a six or a seven. I'll uh, I'll sign off on that then. Your your observation about Arizona. Yeah, I just it's a good hey. Have you noticed? I, I think Sean Miller's an okay coach, but and he's doing a lot better with the talent he's got right now. But yeah, no, you're right. just seems that's a little a, high that's for a, me. That's after looking that over. That's a bunch of crap. That's a bunch of crap. How Arizona with one more win than Ohio State and less of a quality of a resume overall. Right. To be thought that much, that much above. And we'll, team like we'll, the we'll get into it deeper Dumb. as the tournament kind of solidifies and where teams get seated and whatnot. But it's just kind of interesting to see as we're, what, three week, three or four weeks out away from Selection Sunday, just kind of how some teams are getting a little bit more of a bump than I think they should. But that was just one that popped off the page. Yeah, so that, that was a pretty much a, a, a good rundown of all the games that you should be paying attention to this weekend. There's, like we said, just not an abundance of top 25 action. There's just the one game that we ran over. You've got uh, Ohio State here in our neck of the woods taking on Purdue, which is going to be an interesting Big Ten battle of teams that are trying to make sure that they stay in the picture. I've always thought Purdue might be, because of their win-loss record, one of the most disappointing teams in the country for me. I thought they would be a mainstay in the top 20 and maybe making their push towards being a top 10 team. Even though they lost Carson Edwards, they just looked like they had so many options coming back for them with any number of guys that could pop up and become a primetime player for that team. Yeah, it's funny because the next couple of games here, you you got you got a little bit of a trade-off here. So you're playing Purdue at home, who's got one of the worst home-road splits in terms of they're just so much more efficient at home and just so not on the road. So Playing get, at Mackey You get the benefit of not going to Mackey, but at the end of next week around Thursday, you got to go on the road to Iowa, who also has a very, very bad home road split. They are horrendous on the road, just lost a really bad game to Indiana in Assembly Hall. And it's not a bad loss, but just the way they looked was not very good. But when you play them in Carver-Hawkeye, a completely different team. Oh, and last thing, when you look at Sunday, anytime it's a big five game, Villanova on the road at Temple, you got to pay attention to that one. Villanova's been pretty, pretty good, consistent ever since they started Big East play. Number 15 team in the country right now. Of course, the Buckeyes have a key win over them by 25 points. And San Diego State might be the biggest regular season test left in their conference in the Mountain West at a 17-9 Boise State team. Yeah, they also have Nevada late on the last game of the year, which will be interesting. You have talked about that one before. Yep. Um, San Diego State's really weird because their top three players didn't even play on the team last year. So Malachi Flynn was a transfer in from Washington State. He had to sit out this past season. 
Uh, Fagan, DJ Fagan was a transfer from, I forget where, but he was, he's a grad transfer. And they also have another grad transfer that's their third leading scorer. This is a team that's a bunch of players that haven't really won in their past coming together and doing something that's pretty spectacular under Brian Dutcher. So I, I think if you actually watch this team and check them out, I implore you guys to check out this game this weekend. They're a really fun team to actually watch. Before uh, we leave you, Evil Bald Collins said he's going to actually have another mid-major flavor. We haven't done one of those in a few podcasts. There hasn't been there hasn't there been a whole more, lot of good. There's one more team, and I think this is a team that's getting underseeded right now real quick. We talk about the Big East a lot. I love Butler. Obviously, I'm a fan of them. It's a really deep league. But, Got Georgetown this weekend at Hinkle. But Creighton's a very underlooked team right now. They've already yeah, won. Creighton's at, good. They've won at home versus Villanova, and they just went on the road at Seton Hall. This is a team Big that's win. Big pretty win. deep. And I think they had four guys with like 15-plus points on that road game at uh, Seton Hall. Zegarowski, Tyshawn Alexander, they're a really deep team. And this could be a fun team that you could see make a run into the second weekend. But as for the mid-major team, another team that could make it as an at-large team if they don't win their conference tournament, but I expect them to with just how solid they are, is Ben Ben Jacobson's team up with Northern Iowa. Northern Iowa, the Panthers, the the fighting Carl Warners. Yeah, it's a really good team. A.J. Green, no pun intended, he's got a very ironic name there, but he's their leading scorer, averaging over 20 points a game. They have some good wins on their resume. They do have a close loss, though, in that Cancun Classic that we talked about. Uh, against uh, West Virginia. They have a win on the road at Colorado that's really going to stack up for them. The only thing that really is kind of a blemish on their schedule is that they had a road loss at Illinois State that's at the bottom of the Missouri Valley, but otherwise they're a pretty solid team. Could be in that 10 to 11 range in the seed, and we could easily see being one of those teams that makes a run to the second weekend. Northern Iowa, who can forget Ali Farouk Manesh when they <laughs> I'm downed sure Kansas? You can't forget that. They, they have long been a solid Missouri Valley basketball program that can get to the tournament and win and do some damage. But they've been on the wrong sides of history here for coughing up that game against Texas A&M, which is the most brutal end-of-game meltdown that you will ever see almost at any level. Of course, they've beaten great teams like Kansas. They've done a lot of things. And now it's funny you mentioned Northern Iowa, and you you said that and you hadn't seen the story that was your mid-major flavor, and you didn't see this thing that popped up on my feed, how Northern Iowa was being criticized after denying a good old fan, looked like he was a student, who did the layup, free throw, oh, three-pointer, so half-court, quad yeah. special, and they stiffed him on like a half a second. So they had the shot clock, which was at the 30 spot, but they didn't run the clock. Like, you should set the clock above the baskets and then run it so the participant can see what the clock is. But the dude on the announcer started his own verbal countdown and going by that, and the guy was even saying, shoot it, because he was running to the half-court line because he'd made the three-pointer. He made the layup, missed the first free throw, chased it down, made the second free throw, made the three-pointer, and then ran to the half-court line. And the guy started going, three, two, shoot it, shoot it, one. And he got it off and drilled it. So what's the big deal? It was only a $10,000 prize. It wasn't like a $200,000 prize. And they tr- they said that they were going to stiff him because the insurance guys said that it had to be a 24-second contest. Well, you screwed that up, Northern Iowa. And they were saying, oh, we'll give you 2000 bucks and a trip to Arch Madness, which is actually what they call their tournament. That's the Missouri Valley Conference tournament. And some gear. 
and, and everyone I, had a problem with you that. And I would pro- you and I would probably happily accept that. I think the casual person would be upset. We would. We would accept that. I'll take the trip to St. Louis and watch that tournament. It was fun last year. You had Bradley that came in the upset and beat Northern Iowa in that championship game. Let's see. If you give me $5,000 worth of gear, $2,000 yeah, yeah. and the trip to the basketball tournament and a trip to the big dance, however far I want to go, Final Four yes. trip, all that, then we can call it good. But, I mean, dude, trying to stiff him out of the $10,000 prize, it's just ten grand. you are a major university. Dip yeah, into your pocketbooks and pay the guy out because he just fulfilled the obligation. Who can ever do that? I don't care if he missed it by a tenth of a second, half second, whatever. You weren't running a clock. He couldn't see anything. Give the man his prize money. That was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah that's not a good look. The last thing, you said South Carolina got their level one notice for the for the allegations related to the corruption probe. So all the talking, all the shoe scandal, it's sort of the thing that's engulfed the sport the last couple of years. I'd mentioned there was something I saw with Nike as well. And that was the, this was actually the lawyer who represented Stormy Daniels in her lawsuit against Donald Trump. This dude uh, just today was convicted. Michael Avenatti, that's his name of a, uh, he was attempting to extort as much as 25 million from Nike over threats that he would expose, you know, bad stuff, misdeeds in the uh, apparel company's grassroots basketball division. So I guess he was extorting them to out them like Adidas has sort of been outed. To me, I'm wondering, and again, you can't really say any of this stuff about Nike because nothing's been found, but trying to, you have to extort a shoe company to dig up dirt on them? Why, why? Just release, Why wouldn't you just do it? Just release it. It's not like the just N- release it. It's not yeah. like the NCAA is going to do anything. Just whistle about blow. It. Yeah, exactly. Nothing really is going to get done. Or they'll say not something. Not going to be many coaches affected by it. <laughs> they'll they'll issue a lack of institutional control, and the, the coach will just deny it, and you know they'll just go about their business. It's all good, <laughs> except for a program like South Carolina. Yes, well, they'll throw they'll bury Frank Martin. Under the gym. Not before he'll Fra- be put wherever Hoffa's put. <laughs> not That's be- where Frank will not be. Not before Frank Martin does it to whoever tries to go after him though. <laughs> That's true. I'm not messing no. he's that's a guy I'm not suspending. Not a chance. I'm not the NCAA investigator that's going to hang out with Frank Martin. Not a chance. I'm, we're drawing straws for that. Cause I'm and then if I draw the short straw, I'm quitting and finding another <laughs> job. Because I'm not going to Columbia to have any kind of conversations with Frank Martin he's about what's gonna happen. He's Loki the nicest but meanest dude you'll ever <laughs> he meet. Is. He's, he's actually the guy that came to the defense of that kid. There was a kid who got to ask a question at a tournament, yes. and there were a couple of curmudgeon reporters that, ah, I'm trying to get my deadline done, while a cute little eight- or nine-year-old kid was asking a basketball question, and Frank Martin was just over-the-top nice to that young fellow right or young girl. Right after he lost whoever. a Final Four game. Right after like, he lost incredible. a game. Yeah, he was very, very nice. He seems like a nice dude. All right, Colin, good stuff. We'll see you next week talking about more hoops. Can't wait, man. Another week closer to the March Madness. Please tell all your friends that love the sport. We are available anywhere they will get their podcast material, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Podcasts. You can listen at 971thefan.com because that's our station here in Columbus. Please give us a review. Tell your friends about us, and we'll keep rocking with college hoops the rest of the way. March is coming. It's Mad About Hoops, everybody.